Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Your Ben Jarofsky Show for Wednesday, November 10th, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, it's true, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Check it out, Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky, and you can become a Ben head. ChicagoReader.com forward slash J-O-R. A, V is at victory, S-K-Y. It is Wednesday, November 10th, and yeah, still from downstate Illinois and still from his attic, this is still the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson, and it's the long-awaited return of Illinois political know-it-all, Jacob Kaplan. Yes, big ruling by a judge. Uh, Monroe, you've memorized it. I think you have a tattoo of what the judge said. Uh, on, my, on my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> and so let me see if uh, you, you had it. You, you told it to me. It was a guy. I, I screw it all up every time. What is it? Uh, the president is not a monarch. He's not a king. The president king. is not a king. Yeah. And, and Trump is not the president. <laughs> yes. That's my favorite part of the sentence. Right, exactly. And, and and here's the thing, Monroe, is it's it's uh this is what I was getting at earlier, uh how we we sort of waver on how we view these uh principles. Uh so I was talking about uh, the principles that are at, at a trial, for instance, not like the, the principles of justice and fairness and giving a defendant a fair trial. Uh and, and I, I waver. I'm, I admit this. I openly admit this on how much I either am sympathetic or act, actively dislike uh, the defendant. Uh, and so now, similarly, w- the head of the Chicago um, Fraternal Order of Police, uh, Johnny Catanzara, has denounced Lori Lightfoot as a monarch. You are not the queen on the throne, he said, uh, when he's leading the charge uh, to... Um, oppose her de- demand that uh, police officers register with the city, whether they've been vaccinated or not. We live in a democracy. We have liberty. We have rights. You are not a, the monarch. Johnny is nowhere to be found, Johnny Kansas. Nowhere to be found on the issue of whether Donald Trump, as the supreme commander <laughs> monarch of this country, 
has to abide by congressional subpoenas. You get my point. In other words, we vary, you know, from case to case on the essential principle. But I, I subscribe in general, in a general way. Uh, presidents must be forced uh, to comply with congressional subpoenas. Don't you agree? Yes. Well, the reason Trump is fighting so hard to keep those papers out of the hands of the uh, January 6th committee, one six committee, is because it has all the, they have telephone calls, they have notes, uh, contemporaneous notes, they have all they need to prove that this, he planned this thing. It, was, it wasn't an accident, it wasn't a, a, an emotional outburst, uh, and, 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 and the committee is really dedicated to exposing all this stuff even to the point of you had these thousands of people show up in D.C. who stayed in hotels and um, who paid for them to get to D.C. and who paid for the hotels for these people. Right, so it's, it's, um, it's when, when it's all, all said and done, it's going to be enlightening. Yeah. Although yeah. the MAGA people won't believe it, if if, if Jesus Christ came out, <laughs> well, the, 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 the MAGA people uh, ha, are of two minds in this thing. On one hand, uh, it, it's they want to uh, say that it was a legitimate uprising. That's right. like the, the real MAGA people, the real right. hardcore MAGA people, right? Uh, and then the others want to say, oh, it was a. Uh, uh, it was either set up by federal instigators or it's being exaggerated. Or Antifa yeah. dressed up in Trump costume. Yeah. <laughs> Early so they're, Halloween. They're all over the map on this one. Right. Uh, and, um, and so most Republican politicians, with the exception of a handful, are just trying to navigate their way uh, around this. And this is, by the way, we're going to be talking about this. Jacob Kaplan's coming on, executive director of the Cook County Democratic Party. We're going to be talking about the upcoming elections uh, last Tuesdays. He's going to, Monroe and I will have a take a deeper dive and what it all means. Uh, but Monroe, it, it, the, I will say this because this applies to uh, right now what we're talking about. The uh, gubernatorial election in Virginia strongly suggests to me uh, that the way forward for uh, Republican candidates uh, is to uh, do do what uh, Youngkin did uh, in Virginia, and that is sort of nod faintly to MAGA as if to say, yes, I understand you're very concerned about the election being stolen, even though there's absolutely no evidence that the election was stolen, right. uh, while doing everything they can to keep Trump out of the state. Yes, because they don't. And that's that little fine line. They're going to be walking, concentrate, uh, play hard on critical race theory uh, as a um, as an issue that will rile up uh, white voters uh, and then, uh, you know, sneak out of victory. And I think obviously that's the strategy and just ignore. And this is why this is why it could be really uh, it's a it could really be successful beyond Trump uh, if the Republicans um, take back Congress Monroe, because they can then really bury uh, January 6th. Oh, no, it's going to be terrible. Right. Right. Uh, But the thing is, I, because it's a criminal trial or it's it's about to become a criminal trial, 
by 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 the time the Republicans take over Congress, it will be a criminal trial yeah. by that time. And you can't play around with criminal trials as much as you can with political trials. And they have a lot of they they've had a uh, hundred and fifty people testify who came in voluntarily. Now, now they're at the top of the heap, the, the heap that they're, they're trying to get to come in, and, and everybody's either refusing or dragging their feet. Uh, you know, so it's um, it, it's 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 inevitable though. This this will come out. Right. My mother used to say, um, "What happens in the dark will come to the light." <laughs> Your mom used to say that. Yeah, uh, that's a good line. Uh, by the way, you said something when I wrote it down. I could not believe these words came out of your mouth. And uh, for the last five years, uh, Monroe and I have been talking politics obsessively almost every day or definitely every week. And um, you've been very optimistic about the Democratic chances. But you just said something. By the time the Republicans take over Congress, quote, yeah, as that means you're predicting, we'll, and we really should hold off taking a deep dive in this until Jacob joins us. But are you predicting a Republican victory in November that will return, that will give the Congress uh, back to the Republicans? Unless, yes, unless uh, inflation has been taken care of, the pandemic has put been put behind us. And um, Trump has been exposed to be the criminal that he is. Wow. And that's a tall order because the Republicans are, first of all, they're cheering for inflation because and for the pandemic not to end. This is why they're getting vaccinated. They're, they're, they're telling their people not to get vaccinated. No, they're getting vaccinated. They're, they're, yeah, right. They're sac- their people are sacrificial lambs in this thing. But they want Biden to do badly as every which way he can to assure their uh, win. Um, and it's a, it's a, it, it does not look good at this moment. Well, uh, and again, we should probably wait until Jacob joins yeah. us. That gets at the infrastructure uh, and how they're going after the 13 Republican Congress people who voted for the infrastructure bill, proving your point. Right. It's council wars all over again, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Council right. wars has come back to life. Right. Exactly. Council wars and, in the and, 1980s is when and, uh, and, white aldermen tried to sabotage Harold Washington. Go ahead, Monroe. Right. And in the, in the meantime, um, Gossard, uh Goser, who is a, a, let's see, where is he from? Um, I think he's from Arizona. Congressman from Arizona. He he ran this animated cartoon where he killed AOC. Yeah. And he was he he, he was he was after Biden. Yeah. And in this supercharged, very violent. Uh, political war that we're in right now, you know, where even if, if you're running for a school board, you're getting death threats. School board. Did, did Burns people get death threats when, when, uh, when, when she put the, the segregationists in office? People, they got rid of Burns, but nobody threatened them. 
Monroe Anderson, one of the three people in the city of Chicago who remembers that Jane Byrd back in 1982 replaced two black members of the school board with two white members from the southwest side who had vigorously opposed integration. There are maybe three people in the city of Chicago who remember that act. Me, Monroe, and I don't know, Sergio Mims. Uh, and uh, yes, and it, it helped spark a... Um, a revolt among by black uh, voters, and they encouraged Harold Washington to run. They got a the fifty thousand. What was it? They needed fifty thousand new voters to register before Harold would run. Something yeah. like that. And he got a hundred thousand. Hundred thousand. But yeah, a really dumb move by uh, Jane Byrne. You know, and, and now we're in a tangent with a tangent. And I don't know if Punch <laughs> Nine, the Harold Washington movie, goes. But Jane Byrne. Monroe, I, oh God, these memories are flooding back. Jane Byrne in, what was it, about 1981, midway through her uh, term as mayor, moved into Cabrini-Green, yes. the, the, the housing project on the north side of Chicago, uh, the setting for Candyman, youngsters will know what is that, uh, and uh, vowed okay. to crack down a crime in uh, Cabrini-Green, and it was it was widely ridiculed by members of the media, but it was pretty popular, as I recall, among many residents. And she thought that by moving into Cabrini Green, she had the black vote sewed up and she could do absolutely anything she wanted. So what did she do? She just replaced these uh, uh, black members of the school board with white members from the Southwest side. Right. Right. I, I, I was there working for the Tribune, and I was on the death watch at the time. Every morning, I had to be out there before she left. I had to be, I had to be out there before Byrne left for work in case somebody dropped a sofa. <laughs> Which is one of the, no, seriously, that was, that was one of the things they were doing back then. But they're not going to drop it on Jane Byrne's head. <laughs> <laughs> well... It, it, there was a bunch of media out there yeah. just to make sure that she got out of there and to, to City Hall. Every no, that day. is that is says so much about Chicago media right there. Monroe. Just <laughs> oh, no. uh, Anderson, get down to Caprini Green and make sure right. Mayor Byrne isn't killed. Right. That's the media <laughs> mindset of Chicago right. editors. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and in fact, I'm you know as I'm hanging around, I'm talking with the residents of Cabrini, and I talked to this one guy who told me that he had killed somebody there at Cabrini. The guy had come in to Cabrini. They didn't know who he was. He had come in to Cabrini to see some woman, and part of his gang initiation mm. was to kill him. And that was, a, that was an eye-opener for me. It, it's, it really isn't. I mean, on many levels, one is with just the opening acknowledgement and mission of it. Yeah. You know, it's some reporter. Did you know you were a reporter? yeah. yeah. You know, I was a reporter. I'm standing out there in the pack. That's wild, man. But, but what made me, one thing that made me a good reporter is people would tell me things they wouldn't tell other people. I, I think it was because I had such an innocent looking face and, uh, you know, I looked so young that they didn't take me seriously. Monroe Anderson, ladies and gentlemen, I said it before, when he was 30, it looked like he was about 12. And I'm not kidding, man. He had a baby face. <laughs> <laughs> he looked like he was 12. Get carded at bar. Did you get carded a lot when you went into oh, bars? Yeah. 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 And I was going into bars since I was 16. 
<laughs> and you can imagine how you know, I looked at 16. <laughs> Fortunately, I've been Jerry. They just wanted the money. <laughs> they want the business. So, oh, you got an ID? Great. <laughs> uh, Gary, Indiana. Anyway, Kyle Rittenhouse testified. He cried. On the uh, stand, crying. Yeah, was, you, you know the crying. You you didn't see it. Did you get a chance to see it at all? I've not seen the crying. Just read okay. about the crying. The crying um, when my son Kyle, my younger son Kyle, was three. I caught him practicing crying in the mirror, <laughs> and he's going. <laughs> <laughs> That's how written written houses cry reminded me of Kyle. There were no tears. He just making ugly faces. <laughs> and yeah. in the meantime, his mother, as the jury's being taken out, she's crying. Yeah. So they're 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 playing the, the jury like a fiddle. Yeah. It reminds me, by the way, just on a tangent here, uh there's a uh Larry David episode of a recent Larry uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm where there's a character who is in the show who's a professional crier. I'm not making this up. This is part of the show. And she she has a job like she when when they need somebody needs a crier, they hire her and she cries at a moment's notice. Uh, anyway, and Larry David feels that uh, she's exploiting him and manipulating him with her tears. Uh, but yeah, uh, professional crying it looks, looks yeah, but a, 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 a good professional crier can produce the tears. That's part of it. There were no tears in this guy, just an ugly face, yeah, and loud, you know, <laughs> yeah, and uh, so it's hard, it's hard to say, uh, Monroe, what's going on in the minds of the jurors. Uh, I will say this. I'm going to defend the judge, and I'm going to get your response to this. Okay. I'm going to defend the judge. So the judge in that case is uh, Judge Bruce Schroeder. Uh, I'd never, I'm not going to pretend I had heard of him, okay? I'm not going to pretend like I know about Kenosha judges. I've been reading about him like all the rest of you guys. Right. And, and he's known uh, as a tough judge. He's tough. Uh, he's a tough judge, and uh, they call keep calling him old school. And you know what? When people say old school, that just means old. Let's right. just be honest. Right. You know what I mean? Right. There's no, like, he's no, I'm reading about him. I'm like, what makes, that just, the people call me old school because you're old. That's right. all. They right. just put the school in there because it sounds better than saying he's old. He's in his 70s. Yeah. So, so Monroe, this guy, well, they, yeah. yeah. this yeah. guy's a history right. of ruling on behalf of defense attorneys. And there was a, a very interesting case, uh, a murder case. A man was convicted of murder. Jacob Kaplan has joined us. J.K. Jacob Kaplan has joined us. Cook County Democratic Party. We're going to bring him on. Let me just finish this point. Uh, there was a very fa famous case in Wisconsin uh, that I remember when it happened vaguely, uh, but I, forgot, I did not realize that Schroeder was the judge. It ha a man was convicted of uh, murdering his wife, and part of the conviction was based on a letter that uh, – the, the wife had wrote, obviously before she died, uh, in which she said, if I'm dead, blame my husband. Something I'm paraphrasing the letter. Yeah. Uh, and he ruled that it should not be admit, admitted. Uh, and it was a favorable ruling for the defense. So when I read about the man's history, right, I'm not surprised that he's favorable uh, for the defense you know as well as I do, Monroe, because you've been covering politics for a long time. You've been covering news for a long time. That some judges tilt toward the prosecution, and some judges tilt toward the defense. And um, 
And and when when lawyers can, they try to pick their judges, knowing that. Yes. Sometimes they're successful. Sometimes they're not. Yes. And so the reality is, if you, the viewer, are not in the courthouse, not on the jury, just following the case from afar, if your what inclination is to side with the defendant, you're going to appreciate the judge who. Uh, lean sort of defense. And if your inclination is to oppose the defendant because you think his crime was particularly uh, outrageous, you're going to be upset with the judge. Right. And I think that's just a, a reality. I just rem- and, and I'm 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 upset with judge. I'm out outraged right now because he has been loading the deck. He he um he he is. He has rule made rules in favor of Rittenhouse. He um, he chewed out the prosecutor in front of the jury, yelled at him. Which that was is, today. Yeah, that was today. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just. I mean, the way he's been approaching this case has been amazing. Yeah, he uh, Judge Schroeder really chewed out the jur- uh, the prosecutor Binger Thomas Binger had to do with uh, introducing evidence uh, that the judge had already ruled was inadmissible, uh, and uh, so he uh, he uh, he chewed him up. Was it in front of the jury? Are you sure it was front of the jury? Or did oh he yeah, he was yelling at him. He was yelling at him in front of the, front jury. Of the jury. And it, in fact, he threatened. He he, he told the, the prosecution that if they did this one more time, it was. What the prosecution was doing was was hinting that um, Rittenhouse might leave, be leaving things out in his defense. Yeah, and you know, and it's. I mean, it's you aren't supposed to you aren't supposed to point out that out to the jury. And so he he said if if they did it one more time, he was going to make this a mistrial. Yeah, and he used the word mistrial. Uh, by the way, uh, as the uh, Rittenhouse case is going on uh, in, in Wisconsin, as I already alluded to, there is a uh, criminal tr- trial in uh, Georgia, uh, the McMichael trial, I call it, uh, for killing uh, Ahmad Arbery. God, it was, that was already almost two years ago, Monroe time flies. And by chance, uh, there was a similar situation uh, in that courthouse, which didn't it's not getting as much publicity where the judge, uh, uh, Timothy Walmsley, uh, chastised a defense lawyer uh, and uh, said that the defense lawyer was being rude and disrespectful. Now, in that case, uh, he, he, the judge, asked the jury to leave. Yeah. And he let the jury left. Well, well with, with this case, with Rittenhouse, Schroeder asked them into a back room. And he talked to him. Apparently, was yelling at him back there. Reporters could hear him, but the jury couldn't. Mm. Then they come out, and they're having an exchange. And um, the judge gets upset, starts yelling at him again. The jury. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, bring Jacob Kaplan on, uh, Cook County uh, Democratic Party Executive Director. He's studying to be a lawyer, uh, and one day maybe in front of. A judge. Uh, although, Jacob, I don't know, are you going to be the kind of, do you think you're going to go into criminal defense or no, you're already shaking your head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to stay away from the criminal end of things is my goal. So more of the civil side, election law, that sort of thing is my, my plan. 
All right. Well, that makes sense since the guy um, we call him the politi- one half of the political know-it-alls with Danny Pogoshelsky knows his politics inside and out. And I thought it'd be a good idea to bring him on uh, to talk uh, Monroe about last Tuesday's elections, what it means for the Democrats, what the Democrats have to do to avoid a disaster uh, in November, and also talk a little bit about the congressional map. Uh, one of my obsessions. Uh, so, Jacob, let's not sugarcoat it, or I'm not going to sugarcoat. It. Everybody knows. Uh, I root for the Democrats. I have been rooting for the Democrats for better or for worse since the late 1960s. Uh, <laughs> it's been a rough go. Let me tell you, Jacob Kaplan, it's been a rough go more often than not. And um, so it was tough last Tuesday. I won't lie to you, Jacob. It was tough. Monroe knows it. We've been talking about it. Uh, to watch the Republicans win Virginia, a state <clears throat> that Biden defeated Trump by 10 percentage points was tough. To watch a very close New Jersey election was tough. To watch, like, lo- lower down the ballot stuff. I don't know if, how much of your junkie. Well, I know you're a junkie, Jacob Kaplan. In New York, like uh, Republicans took back Democratic seats uh, in suburban New York, on Long Island, et cetera, and so forth. So it was a rough night. Uh, for Democrats, and uh, to what do you attribute? Well, first of all, maybe I'm going to give you an opportunity. Do you think it was it was not as bad as I am saying it, uh, stating it? Do you think I'm overplaying how bad it was for Democrats? Take it away. No, it was it was it was not a good night for Democrats at all. I don't think you're overstating it. It was worse than I thought it was going to be. I thought we had a a better shot in uh, in Virginia than we did. I thought it would be actually a little bit even closer than it was. I know it was close, but still. Uh, and I didn't think New Jersey would be in play to the degree that it was. So, no, it was not a good night at all for Democrats. Now, in terms of the reasons, I'm always somebody that never wants to attribute one thing, and I I think it's smart to think that there were multiple reasons why this happened. I think probably, honestly, the biggest factor here is just, as they say, you know, the the backlash uh, against the party in power, which is – if you go back, you know, 100 years, this happens every time uh, a new president of one party takes over. The other side's party uh, does better in the elections following that. And then things flip back the other way. So I think to a large degree, this was natural, just polarization, just because Democrats are in power, uh, you're going to see a lot of voters voting the other way. Um, but in terms of other factors, I think certainly um Number one, I don't think McAuliffe was the best candidate in Virginia. That Democrats. He, he ran a lousy campaign. Yes, he ran a lousy campaign. I think somebody else could have excited people more. I mean, McAuliffe, sure, he was governor once, but he also lost a previous race for governor. And he just, I don't know, it just he didn't excite anybody. And he ran a terrible campaign, as, as you said, Monroe. So uh, I also think certainly there was some backlash to various Democratic policies. You can't say that. There wasn't, and I know in Virginia there were a lot of school policies around the pandemic that were used by Youngkin to his advantage, so that played a role. Um, People, of course, love to bring up the totally ridiculous uh, terminology of critical race theory, which is really just, I think, a uh, a, a stand-in for general, you know, white fragility or whatever you want to call it, but it certainly plays some sort of role. Critical race theory is this era's. Shahira Law. Yes, totally, totally. Because because back when that was being pushed forward, it was that um, the Muslims were going to be teaching everybody and and, 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 and enforcing Sharia law 
on everybody in various cities and towns. So we're all going to have to learn how to speak some Muslim language. Yep. And it's the same, you know, and now you've got the, it's, it's just, it all comes down to schools and education. And when those become the main issue and you're talking about people's kids, I think that's dangerous territory. And, you know, Democrats have to figure out some way to respond to this. I realize a lot of the stuff the Republicans are drumming up is BS for lack of a better word, but I mean, it's people, some people are believing it and we have to figure out a way to respond and we don't have that yet. So we can't afford to lose, you know, particularly these suburban voters that have been kind of the core of our uh, strength of support the last few election cycles and why we were able to beat Trump in 2020. Like if we don't have those suburban voters, we're not going to, we're not going to do well in the upcoming. Or, or if you get blacks and browns and Asians to turn out in much greater numbers. Yes. Exactly. But you need good candidates for that. And McAuliffe wasn't right. the one. You need good candidates. Right. So, right. By the way, and uh, just my pet peeve, uh, Terry McAuliffe was an aide uh, to uh, Bill Clinton, a close ally of the Clintons. And uh, uh, Jacob and Monroe, you've heard me on this many times. It's really that time has come for the Democratic Party to wean itself of Clintonism. Uh, it's so obvious to me, particularly after Hillary Clinton in 2016. Uh, the ultimate victim, I could use that word because the judge does not rule my show, uh, the ultimate victim of uh, her husband's successes. So, uh, I right, so, so Monroe, uh, I mean, uh, Jacob, you said that you don't have a solution uh, to um, – I mean, I think my solution comes down to what it always does with Democrats. We need better messaging. I mean, it still may be we may do everything right for the next year and we still may lose control of Congress just because there's a backlash against the party in power no matter what. But we need to do everything we can to try to avoid that. And I think we need better messaging. The mistake the Democrats made is in messaging is they should have been bragging about the American rescue plan law that was in place and all the things it was doing. A lot of people don't realize that the check is coming from Biden. The, the, the check that they get every month is coming because of a law that Biden got passed. I mean, again, and again, the Democrats don't know how to take credit when credit is due. Republicans, had they done that, they'd be having a parade down Fifth Avenue, a parade down Pennsylvania Avenue, a parade down Michigan Avenue, uh, just on and on. Agreed. And it didn't hurt, of course. I mean, it didn't help that we uh, didn't pass infrastructure until after the election. If we had some other things we could have, accomplishments we could have run on, that would have been great, too. But you're right. We just never seem to figure out the right message to take credit for what we do. You know, the Democrats, this is why I said for, uh, I've been uh, rooting for the Democratic candidate pretty much consistently since the late 60s. And every time I shake my head, it's like my team is uh, my team is the Chicago Bears and the other team is the Green Bay Packers. And it's like the Green Bay Packers have figured football out and the Chicago Bears don't know what they're doing, the leadership of the Bears. And so I get so frustrated, Jacob Kaplan, because here, let's go to infrastructure. The Democrats finally get this infrastructure deal through. Here we are at the end of almost at Thanksgiving. Joe Biden was sworn in on uh, in January with majorities in the House, in the Congress. We finally get infrastructure 
uh, bill together. Do you think that Democrats will have it enough sense to just send Biden on the road, clipping ribbons and patting himself on the back the way you know Donnie Trump will be doing it if he were the president? I mean, I hope so. And if this were the old days and we still had, uh, I mean, it's just part of it is we don't have the armies of political workers once upon a time there used to be. But, you know, think about back in the old, not that I like these days or they were they were obviously very troublesome, but in the in the old daily days, you would have sent precinct captains door to door. Here's the infrastructure projects that, uh, that you know, are coming to your neighborhood or all that. Nationally, the DNC should be working on a plan to send people out as much as they can or at least- get they, Yeah, they, they have a plan. Their plan is- they're going to use department heads right now. Biden wants to stay close to the White House because he, he he wants the human infrastructure bill to get passed, and so and that's such a mess. I don't, know, man, I don't know about history. sending surrogates. I, I yeah, you got to send the man. man. Yeah, that's the plan right now. Wow, that's it. Yeah, right. Hey, that's exactly. the plan. that's the plan do you think donald trump would send a surrogate he'd have a freaking campaign uh rally every night every night which every every media outlet would cover it yeah well because yeah because what you do is you go to kenosha since we ain't got kenosha on our mind and and um you you have um biden talk about whatever it is, bridge or highway or whatever, uh, Kenosha is going to get out of this. Uh, you know, it's thanks to my plan. Yeah, that's it's what you do. You do that night after night, week after do, and, and you don't always make national news on it. After a while, it gets stale for national news. But wherever area you're in, the local media mm. will cover it. Yeah. And, and in fact, the, the Republicans have done themselves – some damage in not supporting, except for the 13, not supporting the infrastructure um, bill that that has been passed, law that has been passed, because newspaper to newspaper uh, uh, ran stories about how much, that local newspaper, how much money their area or their state would be getting from this, how many billions of dollars. And then they named the Republicans who didn't vote for in the stories yeah. on the front page. So it's, it's, um, it, it will hurt them to some degree, the Republicans. All right. Let's uh, go back to this issue of uh, what you called white fragility, uh, Jacob Kaplan. And uh, I just read a column. I try to read columns of people who completely disagree with me, Jacob, maybe on the idea maybe, maybe they'll convince me of their, hasn't happened yet, but maybe this will be the time. So I read this, uh, Brett Stevens, Brett Stevens, a right-wing columnist for the, for the New York times. Um, and uh, is always uh, chastising Democrats for the woke politics. And I have it in quote, that's his obsession, woke politics. Uh <laughs> Hey, I'm doing my best, Jacob, to be open-minded about other ideas. So I read his column, uh, and he said, so long as Democrats subscribe to wokeness, uh, they will always lose because wokeness uh, turns people off uh, against the Democrats uh, and runs is just is too extremist a view. I'm not he, – then he tries to define wokeness, which to me it just means people are pointing out things that he just – wishes they wouldn't point out because I, I don't know he doesn't have a clue how to confront them things like racism in this country etc and so forth but do you think 
Uh, as a strategist for the Democratic Party, do you, Jacob, think that he has a point that the Democrats have gone too far in their rhetoric that's critical of like essential Americanists? <laughs> I just made that word up. Uh, do you think that there's any legitimacy whatsoever uh, to what he's saying in terms of Democrats being their own worst enemies? Go ahead. Well, I think I think the uh, the only reason why he can say things or Republicans say things like we've gone too far is because we haven't done a good job explaining things. And, uh, you know, I was not, you know, obviously he had some faults, but uh, our previous, you know, Democratic President Barack Obama was able to talk about issues of, of race and things like this in a way that I think a lot of people understood. And I don't know if there's a messenger in the Democratic Party right now that uh, is able to do that. So unfortunately, we're letting the Republicans run away with the narrative and that quote unquote wokeness, which is a made up term, is out of control and and trying to indoctrinate your kids in school and all this because we don't have anybody who's really explaining what it actually is and what it means to uh, really talk about in an honest way about past wrongs in this country and figure out ways we can move forward together to correct those wrongs. So and it, it, as long as we don't have anybody really talking about that, this vacuum is being filled by the Republicans. And that's something we need desperately to work on over the next year if we're going to have a shot in the uh, the midterm elections at keeping control. Yeah. Uh, and when you say that wokeness has just become this all-encompassing word, I f- immediately flash back to uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, the Aaron Rodgers fiasco, which I've been mini obsessed with, I must confess. Aaron Rodgers, of course, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, uh, who lied and let people led people to believe that he was vaccinated when, in fact, he wasn't vaccinated. And then when he was caught uh, for not having been vaccinated, for having lied, he went on a, uh, a radio show and threw a massive hissy fit uh, to turn himself into the victim. And he said, I am being uh, attacked by the woke mob. And just saying woke mob, like set off, it's, uh, you talk about messaging, Jacob, it just set off alarms. And MAGA immediately responded. They now love Aaron Rodgers. Uh, You know, he's their favorite quarterback. All you have to do is say woke, uh, cancel culture. And it's these Critical race theory. Yes, critical race theory. (laughs) Yeah. That's it. Of course, Carville is attacking um, Democrats for... um, being woke too. Yeah, well, Obama yeah. did. Jay, uh, Jim Carvel, speaking of yeah. Clinton, uh, the former t- strategist for a uh, political strategist for Bill Clinton, uh, and he, yeah, he goes Dem- that Democrats are too woke. I remember Barack Obama saying Democrats were too. Remember that? Don't be so woke. I forget when he said it. I think it was during the campaign. He was tr- <laughs> trying to nudge people to vote for Joe Biden. Uh, so they've effectively, Jacob, taken this concept whether we it's real or not uh and turn it into a very effective club to pound democrats and that is a difficult challenge to you talk about getting a messenger i don't know how anybody because it's like obama was dealing with it by admitting it was kind of correct which i'm not so certain is an effective tactic your thoughts i agree i mean it's not a uh, you can't I, again, it's it, these are issues that do need to be dealt with, but but I don't know who the uh, I don't know who the right messenger is, but it needs to be. I mean, these are we can't just say okay, now we're going to go back to not talking at all about uh, issues of race and systemic discrimination and the history of this country and some of the you know bad things that have happened in the past. We can't say that. We have to move forward and and address these wrongs. But I'm not sure who the messenger is that can actually say 
you know, here's explain it well and say, this is not a threat to, you know, it's, it's not a threat to people. It's just saying that we as a country and as a society need to address these things in order to prosper together. So I'm not, uh, I, I wish I had more answers along these lines, but again, as long as we let the Republicans continue to say these things and not answer them, we're just letting it continue to, to fester and uh, letting them have the uh, control of the narrative. Right. Uh, all right. Now, Jacob, before I uh, ask you to take the deep dive uh, on another one of my obsessions, the congressional map, I'm utterly yes. obsessed with the new congressional map in the state of Illinois. Monroe, I, you're just general thoughts on this, Monroe. Uh, I did not send you, Monroe, at your, as a homework assignment, Brett Stevens' column, because I didn't want to inflict that on you. I was enough that I read the damn thing. Um, but isn't he a Canadian? Is he? Or I mix him up with somebody else. I think you're mixing him up with somebody else. All right, uh, but you heard Aaron Rodgers. You yeah. heard Aaron Rodgers. Uh, all he had to do was say "woke mob." All he had to do was say a "woke mob." Boom, and MAGA was on his side, and you know it's just. Well, like, he was also on a uh, on one of those wing nut stations, right? When he said it. Well, it was a serious radio, uh, but he was he he has a regular he makes a regular appearance uh, on a um, a, ra- a serious talk show. So it, I don't if you want to call that wing nut, that's fine with me. Hey, your First Amendment right to say what you want on this. Uh, he's he's he's, he's he, well, uh, Rogers came out as a, a MAGA man. I mean, he was he was he was using all the talking points that the uh, Republicans use. For why we don't need to get vaccinated. Yeah, well, and uh, but the part that they're really irritated, well, two parts that irritate me. One, he just had to say woke mob, which he just sort of dismisses anybody who disagrees with him. But the part that really, really irritated me, Monroe, and I dealt with this in a column, is that how he invoked Martin Luther King right. uh, to justify uh, his worldview. Like he took a stand, he said, because Martin Luther King told us to take stands against unjust rules. So he just made something up that didn't apply. But Mago would have been against Martin Luther King. You know what I'm saying, Monroe? So it's really difficult for me to. And they're only for him because he's dead. White conservatives love dead black leaders because you can pick and choose what they said when they were alive and ignore the rest and they can't straighten it out because they're dead. Yeah. And it makes them, they think it makes them look not racist because they're quoting Martin Luther King. Well put, well put Monroe Anderson. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on to hear him start quoting Malcolm. Down the <laughs> well, uh, it's between, uh, by the way, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, do you have a shout out to uh, the Nation of Islam? I don't know if you saw that one. So uh, up is down and down is up in American politics these days. Uh, but uh, many MAGA people, uh, Donald Trump, I've already cited Muhammad Ali. So Muhammad Ali has kind of been claimed uh, in a bizarre way by the uh, descendants of people who try to throw him in prison. Just right. Point that out. Very bizarre twists and turns. Uh, the Republicans are great at branding and playing the game. All right, Jacob Kaplan, let's get down to it. Let's take the deep dive on the congressional map in the state of Illinois. Uh, as everybody knows, every 10 years, we redistrict, we reapportion uh, the population in the new uh, legislative districts to uh, take into account the new census. 
Uh, Illinois population fell relative to all the other states in the union. So we had 18 congressional districts, ladies and gentlemen, 13 Democrat, five Republican. We had to cut it down to 17. When the uh, legislative map makers were done, we had a map that is roughly is favorable to Democrats in 14 districts and favorable to Republicans in three districts. I immediately hailed it as a great triumph of gerrymandering. I am a proponent of gerrymandering in Illinois for Democrats so long as gerrymandering is allowed in Texas, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. You want to have a fair map? Make a fair map across the board. Don't cherry pick the states you want a fair map in, Jacob Kaplan. I know you agree with me on that basic point. Totally. Correct? Absolutely. I mean, we have to play the same game they do until we can get a national standard or sometime hopefully a law that we can pass that says that everyone needs to do it by an independent commission or whatever. We have to play the game because they're playing to win and we have to do the same as Democrats. Absolutely. I agree with that one. All right. So uh, I immediately hailed it as a, a great map. I gave it an A. I've had several guests come on who really are, are like you, Jacob. They really take the deep dive. They go, Ben, you're a little too easy on that map. More like an A minus or a B plus. Uh, and uh the, the critical point, I'll get your response to this, is that the 17th congressional district that was shaped largely from parts of Sherry Bustos' old seat, she's stepping down, is not as favorable to Democrats as it should be. Uh, and as a result, that is going to be a battle for the Democrats to capture in the 2022 election. So it's not certain. This is what my uh, friends, the map geeks, geeks, tell me. It's not certainly a Democratic district. So we can't say for certain it's 14 to 3 uh, Democrats, more like 13 to 3 to 1 as a toss-up. So that's what uh, critics uh, of the map have said. Your thoughts, Jacob? Uh, yeah, I, I think I agree with you. Overall, I'm a huge fan of the map. I do think you can, you can uh, make some minor criticisms of the 17th district, say that it should have been made a little more Democratic because I believe – Biden only won it by about eight points. So I think you could have made a Biden plus 10 or 11 district, perhaps, um, by adding in more Bloomington. It's a crazy district. I mean, it goes all the way from Rockford over to the Quad Cities and all the way down to Bloomington. So it's like, you know, a couple hundred miles north, south, if not more. Um, so it could have been made a little more Democratic, but it's all really splitting hairs. I mean, honestly, even if we made it a little more Democratic, if it is a bad enough Democratic year, which I hope it's not, but if it is, it's still would probably be lost. So, uh, you know, but overall, I'm, I think that the, uh, the map makers did a great job. I think, uh, you know, of course there's some qualms about the fact that, uh, that, uh, Marie Newman's district essentially got eliminated and she's apparently going to be running against Sean Caston, which is going to set up kind of an ugly primary. But honestly, there was a need for a new uh, Latino district, uh, in the Northwest suburbs, Northwest side of the city. And that was, you have to <laughs> shift things around uh, to be able to do that while still also making sure that we have as many Democratic districts as we wanted statewide. So somebody was going to uh, uh, end up on the short end of the stick, and that's what happened. But I think overall, I'm very, I'm very much a fan of this new map. Now, as a Democrat. Couldn't the Democrats have done what they did in Texas? I mean, with the Republicans, what they did in Texas with the Democrats, where you have Sheila Jackson Lee running against Al Green. So two popular te black Texan representatives against each other. So one's going to go. Could, could that have been done here? Should that have been done here? 
Well, I mean, we still threw some Republicans together. So there's downstate, there's going to be some real choices to be made. So we certainly weren't friendly to uh, to the other party okay. <laughs> overall. Okay, okay. Yeah. No, yeah. The Democrats did it. I mean, uh, this, is, this is why I give them an A. Now, uh, I don't think they did anything as outrageous as the Texas map. The texting right. map, and I've sent that to both both Jacob and Monroe, recipients of homework assignments for me, a uh, weeks ago. I sent both of you that map, that that Texan map, that <laughs> those Texas Republicans is outrageous. Uh, but uh, what the Democrats did in this state, uh, we got Mary Miller, downstate uh, congresswoman. Uh, she's the one who uh, was the one who quote said Hitler was right. I'm just saying what she said, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, she said it. I didn't say it. She said it. Uh, that's Mary Miller, the, sort of the pri- the brains of the Republican Party in the state of Illinois. Uh, Rodney Davis, who's like uh, just go happy, go lucky. Rodney, he's going to get along with everybody. Everybody. And Mo- Mike Boast, the downstate Democrat, who made his reputation. Jacob remembers of this by throwing the papers in the air and saying, "I'm sick of it." Talking about <laughs> Michael Joseph Madigan. Yeah. Uh, so they essentially these three are now like fighting for the the same territory. They put Darren LaHood in the same district as Adam Kinzinger. I run Adam run. You may win that one. Uh, uh, you know, well, yeah, I know Jacob. I know you think that uh, MAGA, MAGA will uh, go against Kinzinger. So Jacob, they kind of did what Monroe was suggesting uh, by throwing these Republicans into the same district. Correct. They did. And again, there's going to be, have to be some hard choices that those Republicans downstate are going to have to make as to where they run. And, you know, there may be a couple that end up running against uh, each other. I do think the Kinziger is probably just not probably just <laughs> going to. Uh, he I says think, he's done. I think so. I mean, there's rumors about him running for governor or Senate, but I think he ends up being a commentator on uh, CNN or something like that is ultimately his play. But we'll see. We'll see. I just don't think he can win a Republican primary, whether it's in his district or statewide. I just yeah. Maybe he can get Rom's spot on, um, <laughs> on ABC. He's, he's more liberal than Rom. <laughs> no, he's not, but Rom. Uh, Rom and Chris Christie, what a joke that is. Uh so yeah, so I, I uh, so the Democrats did a little of that, and uh, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see what Mary Miller and uh, uh, Rodney Davis do, uh, et cetera, and so forth. All right, uh, so you mentioned Sean Kasson and Marie Newman, and that is going to be a very heated battle. A lot of money is going to be spent, and um, I know you have to stay very, very neutral, Jacob Kaplan, as executive director of the Cook County Democratic Party, but just sort of in general thoughts about Marie Newman running against Sean Kasten uh, for a district that was such a big win for the Democrats when they took it back in 2018. Yes. Well, and of course they beat uh, Dan Lipinski, which was, uh, he was a Democrat te- technically, but uh, was mm. one of the last anti- I'm talking about Sean Kasten. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Can't keep track of which one. Uh, yes, yes. But the districts have changed so much, of course, now. Uh, but yes, so Marie Newman and Sean Kasten are going to run against each other. And I believe this district has about 40% of Marie Newman's old district. So she still has a lot of base in this district. Certainly being a woman running for office is, is an advantage. Uh, uh, but Sean's going to have a lot of money and support too. So I think this is going to be one of the primaries to watch nationwide. I mean, it's just, you don't oftentimes get these two democratic incumbents with both of a lot of support thrown together. Whoever wins, I think is in a great shape to keep the seat in democratic hands. I'm not particularly worried about that, even if it's a, not so good year for for Democrats, but this is going to definitely be one that uh, we'll be watching um, when it comes to the June primary. 
Uh, and then the vacant seat, there's two vacant seats, uh, one in the 17th uh, and one in the third. Let's take the 17th first. And we'll get to the third second. Latissa Wallace will be a guest on the show tomorrow. She's already declared former state representative from Rockford. Uh, she's already declared running for Congress uh, if, for that seat, that open seat. Uh, and, of course, she was Dan Biss's running mate back in the 2018 gubernatorial primary so she's out there uh your thoughts on the open seat in the 17th congressional i mean i think this will be a contested primary too i i've heard various names of other people that are interested in running Letitia wallace i think is the most prominent one that's kind of well known in general but uh you know there were some hopes i believe the mayor of rockford was uh people wanted him to run i guess he's not going to do that so but I'm sure there's going to be probably anytime you have an open seat with no incumbents, Sherry Bustos, of course, retiring, you're going to have 10 candidates plus running, I'm sure. So it'll be another one to watch for sure. And then the third congressional, which is closer to home, uh, this is the new uh, Latino district. And I have it in quotes because it's uh, I think the population of is roughly 45 percent. Don't quote me, Jacob, but I think that's about right. Forty four. Uh, 44%. Okay, give me credit. 44% voting age. Voting percent. age. Yeah. And uh, what a drive. What a, I mean, the art of gerrymandering, and I say that, I have that in quotes, art in quotes, because, again, it's an abomination, gerrymandering, but it's the game. So if you're not going to do it, then you're going to just guarantee to get swamped by Republicans. But this map... <laughs> It's it's like, I just saw it in the bright one. The Chicago Sun-Times has it in today's uh, paper. It... it, it it's hard to, it's like a frying pan or something. I mean, it just starts in Chicago, depends on which way you're starting it, but starting in Chicago, going way west, looking for Hispanic voters wherever they can find them. Uh, so who are some of the names that are uh, going to be in this one? Sure. So today you just had uh, Alderman Gilbert Viegas announce that he's running. He's the alderman, of course, of the 36th Ward. Um, so he is... Uh, in the race already. Other people that are being talked about include uh, State Representative Delia Ramirez uh, is seriously considering it. Uh, my good friend, State Senator Omar Aquino is is considering it. Uh, I hear Metropolitan Water Reclamation District Commissioner Ira Corral Sepulveda, uh, who lives out in the farther northwest suburbs, is considering it as well. So, and those are just the names I've heard so far. Uh, I imagine there's gonna, this is another district. Again, whoever wins this district which is solidly democratic, could be there for 10 plus years. So there's going to be a big fight. It's an open seat. And uh, it is pretty crazy how it goes all the way from, I believe, like <laughs> Ravenswood Manor in your, in your neck of the woods there, Ben, all the way west to like Bartlett. And I mean, it's just, it's a, it's an insane district. But again, it's going to be a, uh, a very hotly contested primary, no doubt. Uh, there is no truth to the rumor that Monroe Anderson will be throwing his hat in the ring and for the third congressional district. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to live in the district, Monroe. You could run if you want, but uh, he's right. decided to. Uh, yeah, I. Um, uh, I, 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 I. The next Supreme Court seat open. That's what I want. That's good. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I got to give uh, Jacob Kaplan credit. Uh, we were uh, having a conversation about two weeks ago. I think it was like maybe three weeks ago. I can't remember. We were talking about the map. What else? And uh, he goes, look for Vegas to run. And I got to give you credit. You called it. It was like th three weeks ago. Uh, you called that one. And, uh, yeah, he made it clear he wants to run. And I was reading his story. He got an impressive background. Uh, you know, veteran. he said I'm a yeah. veteran, a Marine. Yeah. And, um so that'll that'll be an interesting. Delia Ramirez, a good friend of the show, and our, Omar Aquino. I remember what a fight that was when he won as state senator. Uh, so that's asking a lot of a man to give that up. 
Uh, and he just uh, just had twins. His wife just uh, gave birth to twins a few days ago. So he's uh, uh, he's got a lot going on. Yeah, he's got a lot going on. So yeah. uh, we'll see if he jumps into the uh, the race. I'm not quite sure about that. Uh, and uh, so, what other races should we know about? Oh, what uh, what about the? Uh, this is Monroe's uh, uh, one of Monroe's old friends, Bobby Rush, uh, in the first congressional district. Uh, he's got challengers. And uh, every year, I people tell me, Ben, Bobby Rush is on the ropes. Bobby Rush is in trouble. I remember back at the start of this century hearing uh, that there was this young state senator from Hyde Park named Barack Obama who is uh, going to give Bobby Rush a hard time. And Bobby right. Rush, of course, mopped the floor with him. Uh, do you think that what, – what's your thoughts on that uh, that campaign? Monroe or me? You, uh, Jacob. Oh, sure. Uh, so I think it's tough to beat Bobby, honestly. I mean, he's uh, – people have tried many times. You said Barack Obama. I mean, there was uh, – I think it was two or four years ago, Howard Brookins is going to run against him, the alderman Howard Brookins of the 21st Ward, and and uh, thought he was going to kick Bobby Rush off the ballot in the old uh, Chicago tr- political tradition. Didn't happen. Bobby still ended up <laughs> uh, winning with a, with a solid majority. So I think – I think it's going to be tough. I, I, I don't know who could beat uh, uh, Bobby. I just think as long as he wants to stay there, he's likely to uh, to keep winning that seat. Monroe? I, I, I agree. Uh, what's, what's interesting is Bobby became the, – the old Bobby became the young Bobby in the, in the past few months. So he's been taking on more radical causes and been a little more – Politically active, uh, activist active. Uh, just to remind people who he was, but you know, because I'm not sure how much of that he was doing until this election. But he seems to be doing more now. Would, would, would you agree with that, Jacob? I would. He's definitely gotten more active. <laughs> right. 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 Yes. Well, Bobby Rush. Uh, good God, I, I could go on and on about Bobby Rush because. My, I first became aware of him in 1969, Monroe. I mean, that's that's how old I am. Uh, when he was uh, a, ch- a top aide or, I don't know, party member with Fred Hampton of Black Party. Minister of Information. Yeah, very good. Yep, yep, Minister of Information. And when Fred Hampton was killed, uh, Bobby, I remember Bobby Rush went into hiding because they thought he might be next. Oh, he was going to be next. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he was just like for a young kid to that's like such a powerful uh, persona that Bobby Rush represented uh, for a white kid, kind of scary, threatening, yeah. but at the same time, you know, like, wow, I needed to know more about the guy. Cause uh, he was really pointing out and articulating uh, ideas that uh, fired me up at the same time that he scared me. Uh, I, I assume you had a little different viewpoint at, uh, Monroe, you're roughly the same age as me, but you were looking at it from a black perspective. So I'm sure you had it. You weren't as f- afraid of him as I was, right? Oh yeah, no, I, um, I, I, I had mixed emotions about the Panthers uh, in that um, I loved how they took on the police and what have you, but there was also this gangster element among some of them, you know, and. and um, uh, oh, God, I'm blanking on his name. Um, L, L, L Rod, L. Richard L. Rod. 
Sheriff. Sheriff no, Richard Sheriff Elrod. Black Panther. Oh, Elrod. Uh, uh, L, no, it wasn't Elrod. L, God. I'm blanking on his name. He, he, he was the one who had been a rapist. <laughs> and, and Oh, Eldridge Cleaver. Eldridge. Eldridge Cleaver, yeah. Eldridge Cleaver, you know. Uh, yeah. And so, they, I mean, they were a, a very odd group of guys. And... Um, but but I, I love that they were taken on the establishment. Yeah. So your your actually your point of view wasn't all that much different to me. I was I was more of like the Rodney King type at age thirteen. Can't we all get along? Yeah. And the black man was like, "Shut up, okay." Right. That's uh, kind of the the debate at the time. But yeah. So Bob Bobby Rush has been on my brain and uh, for a long time. And I remember when he he was victorious for Alderman back in 1983. It would have been that's when he uh, was victorious uh, in the second uh, Aldermanic uh, seat. So. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to imagine that uh, Bobby Rush uh, could ever lose an election. He's just such a force in Chicago politics. All right, uh, Jacob, before we go, uh, any local races that you want to alert people to right now, just important elections on the local level, down ballot things uh, that people may not be aware of. Uh, anything you want to point out? Um, I mean, we're just at the party. I mean, we're, uh, you know, we're endorsing candidates next month, slating countywide candidates. And I think the two races that are going to be interesting and we'll see where the party goes on them. Of course, our assessor of the incumbent Fritz Kagey is being challenged by uh, Carrie Steele, who's the president of the Water Reclamation District. Um, so that's going to be an interesting way, race to watch. Uh, there's a couple of people challenging uh, the incumbent sheriff, Tom Dart. So that's kind of another countywide race. You have some you know, candidates in that are challenging incumbents. Um, other than that, there's just not too much uh, uh, I can think of right now in terms of exciting races. Certainly the Secretary of State primary statewide on the Democratic side is the other Big race to watch. Um, what about Danny Davis? Is, does he have a challenger? Yeah, Keenan Collins. You were on the show with her. Okay. Uh, Keenan yeah. Collins, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, pride yeah. and joy of Von Steuben High School, uh, is running against uh, Danny K. Davis in the 7th Congressional District. Mm-hmm. Keenan's been on this show several times, including once with Monroe. A very popular show, by the way, Monroe, i got to tell you. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, Danny K. Davis. So, does, she, does she have a, a, a shot, Jacob, or... She, she may have to wait a couple more years. I, I think she's a great candidate, but I also think just like Bobby Rush, I think Danny yeah. Davis has a name and is an institution in Chicago politics that I think he's tough to beat. I can't see it happening. I think she'll be in a great spot when, uh, when Danny decides to retire, whenever that happens. But I just don't think at this point that he's beatable. Yeah. Well, I must admit, I have a bias. I confess it. Akina Collins went to high school with my uh, oldest daughter. That's how old I am. Uh, my oldest daughter's friends. Oh, that's, how, that's how young she is. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I uh, I like her spirit, and yeah. uh, she, I think that Chicago. Um, how do I put this? I mean, I would love to have like a a, a spirited left of center congressperson from Chicago along the lines of an AOC, you know, uh, standing up for these important left of center causes. I understand they're all kind of on the same team, Jacob Kaplan, when it comes to many of the issues in Washington. Uh, but it would just be good just to have Chicago to have someone. I, I remember uh, I thought Samina Mustafa who ran against Mike Quigley could fit that. 
category and the voters in the fifth congressional overwhelmingly reelected uh, quickly, but it just feels as though Chicago's lacking. This is me speaking, not Jacob Kaplan, not Monroe Anderson. I feel the city of Chicago has been lacking like a young spirited voice of the left in Congress. Uh, that's maybe just, the, uh, maybe the third district will present an opportunity for that person to, to come in to, to emerge. We'll see. Oh, okay. Alderman Carlos Ramirez, uh, Rosa, you hear that? Uh, maybe you should run. Uh, anyway, so uh, that's me on Keena Collins. Uh, all right, uh, gentlemen, I think we've uh, completely run out of time. I want to thank uh, Jacob Kaplan, uh, Executive Director of the Cook County Democratic Party, for coming on. He's been on my show ever since I had a show. And, of course, the legendary, the great Monroe Anderson, uh, every Wednesday on the Ben Jarofsky Show. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Jacob Kaplan and Monroe Anderson will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. All right. Thank you. See ya. See you. Thank you, Chicago. Thank you, Chicago.